You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you are new to the show, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. Even though we are going to primarily be discussing an episode of season one, we will be discussing it in the context of the entire season. So if you have not seen the first season of Orphan Black, please beware that there are spoilers ahead. In this episode, we're going to be talking about episode one of season one, Natural Selection, a.k.a. a whole lot of bums. There's so many bums. There are a lot of there's bums. There's so many bums. <laughs> well, I mean, really, there's three bums. You know, there's Paul's, there's there's Sarah's, and then there's Felix's. But you see each of their bums multiple times. There's a lot of bums. Yes, there are a lot of bums. What amused me was you had, or I, I'd let you borrow the DVD set. And I then got some messages from you about the show, and I'd started to ask you what episode you were on, and then I suddenly got a message, there are so many bums! And so I said, oh, so you're on episode one then. (laughs) (laughs) And you were correct. This is not the last time that we will see bums in this in this series, I'm sure. Well, we see more in season season one, but I think the largest concentration of naked bums is in this episode. Yes. I think I mentioned before that watching the the season marathon that led up to the season finale. Mm-hmm. I think it started at like 11 a.m. Central Time. Mm-hmm. And so That's the bums, bums got bums edited for 11 out. a.m. Okay, okay. Well, they, they cut it down. Okay. Because I was wondering about that, too. As we were, you know, coming upon the scene with Paul and Sarah in the kitchen, I was like, oh, right, what, what are they going to do here? And they cut a lot of it out. Okay. So. Okay. That was anyway. probably wise. That's that that is indeed quite a few quite a few bums for eleven AM. Yep. Pretty pretty racy there. So probably the best place to start after the bums is to talk about <laughs> Well, we had to get it out of the way. We had to. But we had everybody was thinking about it. So no. No no. So after you you've talked about the bums, the the next place that you go to is the very beginning of the episode because it's it's a fairly arresting Really, it's kind of, I guess, two scenes that in the beginning of this episode. And the scene we, we get where Beth throws herself in, in front of a train after, you know, making eye contact with Sarah and Sarah realizing this woman looks exactly like me. That was sort of the, the germ of the idea for Orphan Black because Graham Manson, I believe, and John Fawcett came up with this idea meant like 10 years ago, maybe a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And they just thought it was a really intriguing scene to have in a television show and kind of built Orphan Black around that idea, which I think is kind of interesting. I think maybe the story was that John Fawcett had come up with that specific scene in mind and told it to Graham Manson. And Graham was like, great, what happens next? And then John's like, I don't know, that's your job. (laughs) It's like, you're the writer. (laughs) Flesh it out. (laughs) As I recall, that was, yeah, how it started. Right. But I think it's interesting that they started with that particular moment and what they got out of it was a show about clones because there are several directions they could have gone with that. It could have been a long lost twin or sister or just a woman who looked remarkably liked this other woman, but they were in no way related. And it could have been a very different show. But of course, I think part of why they decided to go with clones was that they thought there was the greatest number of options, there is the most opportunity for story that way, mm-hmm. which makes sense to me. 
Because, I mean, if it's twins and, or, you know, a long-lost twin, then, I mean, there's only so far you can take that because, like, oh, mystery solved. <laughs> right. You know? No, absolutely. And and I, I, I agree. I think I think going the clone direction with it was the most interesting choice. But if they had gone another way with it, it's like... It, it, I, but I guess the thing that struck me when I was re-watching this episode... I think now this is the third time I've seen it, at least the third, if not the fourth, was that the majority of this episode, except for maybe the last, like, few minutes and some hints that are thrown into the larger clone plot, the majority of this episode really could play out as a pilot about Sarah, who finds a woman who looks remarkably like her and sort of inserts herself into this woman's life and, you know, these things happen to her. So it... it could play out as a very non-science fiction show it and it does for it like it could be ringer yeah <laughs> but then you get to the end it's like oh some larger stuff is going on <laughs> indeed actually speaking of the ending sort of thinking about it again in the context of the first season it's kind of interesting that we basically see three clones in the first episode and only one survives mm-hmm. so I mean, we meet them only to have them basically immediately be killed. I just, that's an interesting choice, I guess. Yes. I thought. Yeah. And because this is the only episode where we see Beth and Katya alive. Yep. And I think of the two, I mean, Katya's interesting as well. But really, I think after seeing this episode, you have the most questions about Beth because of of the way that she killed herself and the other things go that we know were going on in her life because Sarah inserts herself into Beth's life and something i've always really loved about the first scene where Beth throws herself in front of the train is i really love the care with which Beth takes off her shoes and folds her coat and places it on top of her shoes and it's just all very neatly stacked on the ground. It's it's a strange thing to do before you're about to throw yourself in th- in front of a train. And yet it reveals quite a bit about Beth as a person. It does. And I, I was struck by that too. That is sort of an it's an again an interesting choice that basically this is all we know about Beth from seeing her in real time on the show or the show's real time real time, if that makes any sense at all. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But something that struck me too, watching it this time that I hadn't really thought about in the times watching it before, that, I don't know, she commits suicide by stepping in front of a train. But I thinking about it this time, I mean, we've seen later in the season, of course, Paul sort of devises a plan to essentially kill Sarah if he needs to, and to set it up as if she had committed suicide by taking too many pills. And we see in this episode that she has a medicine cabinet full of prescriptions, and she's a police officer, so she has access to a gun. I mean, basically what I'm saying here is Beth has multiple ways of committing suicide. So why why step in front of a train? You know, it's 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 an unusual decision, I thought, that possibly reveals something also, but I'm not entirely sure what. But I just, I was struck by the violence of it, I guess. It also makes me wonder 
if she might not have been at the train station for another reason before she got really upset and committed suicide, if there was a particular event or reason that led her to be at that train station. And that's maybe what led to her choosing that method because you're absolutely right. She has so many ways she could have killed herself that were handy, you know, at her fingertips, either at home or at work or wherever. But no, she went to a train station to jump in front of a train. And I don't know, this might be intentional from the writers. I'm not trying to say that this was actually Beth's intention when she does it, but the way, again, that she sort of folds her coat, takes off her shoes, puts her purse on the ground, and the way she doesn't even react to when she looks into Sarah's eyes and sort of sees another her, it's almost, it feels kind of like Beth has sort of left her life for Sarah in some way. Again, I know that's not actually what happened in that moment, most likely. I don't think that Beth was expecting to run into another clone at the train station, but it kind of almost feels that way to me. Yeah, I'd actually considered this earlier, the fact that she doesn't react at all to Sarah. And I mean, we know that Beth ran the fingerprints or facial recognition. What was it that she ran? She ran something. It was something like uh, photo matching or something like that. But she scanned driver's licenses and looked for photos that were similar to her own. So I think probably some facial recognition software was involved. Okay, but my point being here that we know that Sarah has a record. I mean, it comes up when they search for the the fingerprints later in the season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it occurred to me at some point previous watching that episode that, oh, that's maybe why Beth didn't really have much of a reaction to Sarah, because she knew about Sarah and probably knew at some point that she'd you know, lived in the area. Of course, while all of this has gone on, it has been probably during the 10 months that Sarah has been away. So maybe they even tried to find Sarah at some point. And so, I mean, maybe it's not so crazy, perhaps the idea that Beth might have been expecting Sarah in some way. If she knew about Sarah, it's possible she, with her with her contacts with the police, she could have figured out Sarah had bought a train ticket. I don't know if, she, you know, if, if a name would show up on, on that type of train ticket. Probably not. You'd probably just buy a pass, but you never know. But um, again, I don't. I don't think necessarily that that is what happened. Her sort of like, oh, here, here Sarah, here is my, here is my problem. Here is my mess for you to deal with. But it's just sort of a very interesting moment to me to to look at and to consider. Mm-hmm. But I really hope that we get we somehow are able to get a little more information on Beth. I wouldn't mind some flashback or video or whoever they could maybe bring a live Beth back into the story somehow. Right. Well, I mean, later in the season, Sarah essentially accuses Paul and his deception of being sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, for for Beth. So, so I don't know if that was the precipitating event. So when we talked about Sarah in our Sarah episode, we talked a lot about her as an anti-hero. And that is, of course, on full display in this first episode. I've, I've heard many Orphan Black fans say that the first episode is, is maybe difficult for them to get into because they find Sarah very unsympathetic. I don't think that was the case for Chris and I. We were, we were on board with Sarah, sort of this interesting shades of gray, 
anti-hero who's really a survivor and has maybe had a not so great life. I think we were kind of on board with Sarah. But for sure, the big thing that's kind of like, oh, my God, I can't believe she, she did that was when she steals Beth's purse. It is a weird thing. Narratively, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, the story has to have a beginning. But yeah, I mean, objectively, that's kind of a horrible thing to do. <laughs> it is a horrible thing to do. And I'm not trying to excuse Sarah's actions. It was definitely a horrible thing to do. You should not steal a dead woman's purse. But at the same time, I think it's fair to maybe allow that Sarah partially took the purse because she was really curious about this woman who looked exactly like her. I, I think it's a matter of curiosity meeting desperation. Yes, absolutely. But I gotta admit, I would be very curious to know, even if it was just like name, address, something, to if I saw somebody who looked exactly like me, I'd be curious to know something about them. If I had that opportunity, I would probably take it. I don't know that I would steal a dead woman's purse, but... It would be very tempting to not at least kind of peek. <laughs> yeah, it'd be more of a, a rifling through yeah, than a stealing, yeah. I'd think. <laughs> <laughs> but I gotta say, the probably the moment in this, in this episode that really made me love Sarah and sort of get on board with Sarah as a really interesting character who I was curious to watch was when she was willing to drink the soap in the police station in order to make herself vomit to get out of testifying. Indeed. I mean, that's that's the moment. And I think I've mentioned this before. Anytime I watch it with anybody, we get to the part where she starts, you know, drinking the soap. And whoever I'm watching it with just sort of, in some way, kind of freaks out. <laughs> mm -hmm. there's, there's sort of a, what is she doing <laughs> reaction to that, which I totally get because... It's crazy. It's it's resourceful, but it's crazy. And that's something I feel like this episode does really well as, as, as sort of laying out Sarah as a person, as a very smart, quick thinking, resourceful woman. She obviously does not have the best of intentions in this episode, but I think it does set her up her sort of street smarts, life skills background that she that she really brings to what becomes Clone Club. Mm hmm. But yeah, the soap drinking. I love the soap drinking. <laughs> Which maybe sounds strange, but it, it did make me love love Sarah as a character. And thinking about Sarah as an anti-hero, while this episode does demonstrate that she is willing to do some not nice things, I actually do think the writers do a good job balancing out there are consequences to those not good things that Sarah is doing. Like, she doesn't quite get in trouble in this episode with the police station, but she comes really close. She has to drink soap and pretend to vomit, you know? And I think the big negative consequence of her actions in this episode that we see is when she's watching her own funeral that Felix and, and Vic have put on for her and Kira shows up with, uh, with Mrs. S. And she just, Sarah just gets really distraught about the idea of her daughter thinking that she was dead. Right. So I like that even though, yes, Sarah is an antihero, there's established very immediately that she's not going to just get away with these bad things that she's doing necessarily. Yeah. And you mentioned the scene of going into the police station and rewatching it. I, I really love that scene where Art's sort of pulling her into the police station. And the, the way they filmed that was so excellent at conveying her, her panic basically at the very mm -hmm. thought of 
going into a place surrounded by the people that she's basically tried to avoid all her life, it sounds like. so. Yeah, and, and we learned later in the series that she's been arrested. She has a record. So she has faced criminal, legal, some type of sort of consequences at some point in her life. So it, it makes sense. That this is a place she fears. Right. And there seems to be a certain implication, too, that uh, Mrs. S had been maybe on the bad side of the law. Indeed. <laughs> if Indeed. that makes any sense. She's <laughs> doing some shady activity, like taking in Sarah. Mm-hmm. And, and so there is sort of the implication that she's sort of been raised to be wary of the police. So That's a good point. Yeah, because Mrs. S is not particularly um yeah like you said she's not she has not always been on the right side of the law herself does that make sense right well cuz the whole they're sort of underground child adopting thing hence why orphan black sarah yes was a an orphan who came through her system sort of the wrong way illegally anyway <laughs> but before before going back to Sarah, just real quickly, I think it's interesting in this first episode, we get so little of Mrs. S. We we only see her on screen for a few seconds when she's at the, the funeral. And at that point, we don't get to hear any dialogue from her. We just sort of see her interacting with Felix from afar. And then the other only other part she's in is we don't even hear her at all, but we see Sarah talking to her on the phone, the payphone at the at the train station. Mm-hmm. And and um but you know, I think those two little moments do a pretty good job sort of setting up Sarah and Mrs. S's relationship at the beginning. And it's a good starting point, at least for them, even though she's only in the episode briefly. Right. Basically, she's just introduced as somebody who's looking after Sarah's daughter. Mm -hmm. And clearly is not is very protective of Sarah's daughter and is not just going to say, Oh, here, you're back. Here's Kira. You know, right. she's, Mrs. S is definitely set up very well as a hurdle in this episode. Mm-hmm. So going back to Sarah from in rewatching the, the episode, she has a couple of lines that where she's, she's describing Beth and then describing herself where we, we recognize <laughs> having seen the series, how completely wrong she is, you know, where she describes describes Beth as, as somebody who has a pretty nice life. And even at this point, Felix, you know, corrects her and says, then, you know, and she killed herself. But we we even get to learn further into the series how difficult and troubled Beth's life actually was, even though she has, you know, some nice things. Right. And I think that's really one of the sort of main through lines of the series thus far is sort of the... I guess the level of deception just in appearances, you know, I mean, things look one way, but they're not that way necessarily. And then another comment that Sarah makes that we learn is just so, so wrong is when she's talking to Felix and she describes herself as nobody special. And of course, so, so wrong (laughs) because she's a clone and part of a big experiment and is being hunted by people and etc, etc. So Sarah's a very special person in a particular context. And even seems to be special within that context. Yes, because we learn she's, you know, she's unlike the other clone. She's fertile. She potentially, because, you know, we see Kara heals herself very quickly. Maybe Sarah has super secret healing powers too. 
So yeah, she's she's special even amongst clones. But again, it, it comes back to that whole the way things look and the way things are, you know? Exactly. And then we've got Felix. Dear sweet Felix. Dear sweet Felix, who is trying to sell Sarah's Coke for her. Sarah's stolen Coke for her. But yes, in contrast to Sarah, he points out that Sarah's taking of the purse, it's it's the same as robbing the body, essentially. Right, because she, she shows up with this purse and he's like, you robbed the body? She's like, no, 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 she left on the train platform. Isn't that the same as robbing the body? So even though they present Felix pretty quickly as somebody who's maybe not on the on the right side of the law, he's willing to sell stolen cocaine for Sarah, he does seem to have a bit better moral compass than Sarah does. Yes, at least a little more honest with himself about it. <laughs> but I was, I'm curious, so did your, when your father first watched the episode, did he also find Felix unlikable? Yes. I mean, that was his comment was after we had finished watching it. I think it was maybe the next day or something I'd, I'd broached the subject again of like, so what'd you think? And he's, he's like, everybody's just so unlikable. <laughs> I'm like, really? Everybody? But that's what he said. Everybody? Even Felix? See, I find Felix charming. <laughs> right. Well, again, I think it's the fact that he's, you know, trying to sell Sarah's cocaine and a rent boy. And, yeah. Yeah. That stuff doesn't necessarily go over that well with my dad. Ah. At first oh. blush, anyway. Go ahead. I, I, I just remembered I actually was, this is a few months ago, but I was, I was talking about Orphan Black in a class I was taking about representations of human diversity, et cetera, et cetera. And I mentioned that Felix could maybe be described as a bit of a stereotype as far as a queer male character is concerned because of these characteristics, including the fact that he was a rent boy. And then a woman who was in like her 50s asked me what a rent boy was, and I had to explain it to her. And I felt really awkward. <laughs> It's a young man who is a prostitute whose customers tend to be older men. Ugh, it was awkward. <laughs> and what was that woman's reaction? Kind of a blank stare. Um, <laughs> I wish she had given me a little, little better reaction to go on, but yeah. <sighs> hmm. uh, you know, and we see Felix uh, also sort of a, a more morally questionable thing that he does in this episode is identify Beth's body as Sarah. But I think we do see him struggle with that decision as he's sitting at the bar. Right. I think that's pretty clear that he does it for Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah clearly, we see in this episode, has a real hold on Felix. She's very important to him and she he wants to he wants to help her, even if he doesn't always agree with her methods. Right. But the identifying of the body leads to the adorable queer boy flirting between Colin and and Felix. And <laughs> I just love when Colin's trying to comfort Felix and he's like, think of it as a gestalt. And Felix says, oh, my. <laughs> is that also nerd flirting? Yes, that is totally nerd flirting. <laughs> the only thing is, though, I'm not entirely sure if Felix understood what he meant. By Probably gestalt, not. or if he's, if because he, my my take on it was that he thought he, you know, he was maybe Colin was maybe maybe being a little suggestive, but <laughs> but it's possible that that Felix's reaction was, oh, he's smart. He uses words like gestalt. <laughs> I don't know. What was your take on that moment? I have no idea. Okay, fair enough. 
But I also really like when Felix brings Vic back to the morgue to show Vic Sarah's body, or, you know, Beth's body, who he's, he's saying is Sarah. And Vic is sobbing over the body, and, and Felix is just kind of flirting with Colin and petting, you know, patting Vic's shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, my supposedly dead sister is right there, but, but hello. Hello. You're cute. <laughs> So speaking of Vic, I always have this question about Vic as if we feel sorry for him or not. What are, what is sort of your feelings about Vic, especially in this episode? You know, I don't really feel sorry for him. Because, again, there's the matter of the stolen cocaine. And Sarah's, I hit him first this time. I'm just, there's, and, and, he, and he, he literally is introduced by strangling Felix. Sort of. And I... No. <laughs> no, Vic. I'm apparently so thrown by it, I can't form complete sentences. But because I, I agree, when I first saw this episode, I did not feel sorry for him at all. I did not feel badly that Sarah and Felix manipulated him to think that Sarah was dead. I did not feel sorry for him at all. But I think maybe later in the season... He's perhaps intended to be a bit more pitiable, but I don't know. I never quite got there with Vic. I, I still don't really feel sorry for him. He's he's not a good person. Right. He He's sort of like a middleman on the bad guy scale, but he's still clearly not not a good guy, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they do introduce him as being afraid of Pouchy, which I still think is funny. <laughs> that he's really? very concerned. Concerned about Pouchy. <laughs> but still. So then this episode, <laughs> obviously we meet Art, Beth's partner. And as we mentioned in the episode where we talked about Art and his associates, including Raj. Raj isn't in this episode, but I'm going to mention him anyway because he's so freaking adorable and I love him. <laughs> but Chris and I very thoroughly disagree about Art. Chris is a little more lenient toward Art than I am, and I just don't like Art. And this episode really sets up why I don't like him. And because I really feel like the what he pulls at the end of this episode where he follows who he thinks is Beth and steals the money out of her trunk, there is no, no, no justifiable reason for doing that. There's just none. Yeah, I, I just... I don't know. And And again, I saw the first episode second, to be fair. Uh, I don't know how much of a difference that makes on my opinions of anything, really. But that is something to consider. Because yes, as introduced, I think part of why they introduced him like that is that, you know, we're supposed to be coming at it from Sarah's perspective. Sarah doesn't know who this guy is. And he's sort of manhandling her into his car, which is a big no-no. But then, oh, come to find out he's Beth's partner. And I guess... My reason for not having as big of an issue with him as you do is that he has that great scene in sort of the middle of the episode after after Sarah posing as Beth has thrown up the soap in the interview room and he goes and he sits with her, I think, in the psychiatrist's office, right? Yes, they're wait it, she's waiting for the psychiatrist and he's waiting with her outside. Right, because I think he, he must drive her home after that, too. Since she doesn't have her car yet. Anyway, but just the the fact that he's sitting with her and he he has that line, he says, 
he says what happened in there. And then she says, I don't know, I panicked. What do you want me to say? And then he says anything, but anything I besides I panicked. Yeah. And then she sort of looks like she just doesn't know how to respond to that. And, and he says that he's teasing her. Yeah, he says, where's your something like, where's your humor gone? You haven't called me a dipshit all day. Yeah, where's your wit, I think is what he says. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that scene to me says a lot about the relationship he had with Beth. You know, and I think there's another scene like that further into the season. But I think that's one of those things that I feel like once we got that scene, that sort of excused a lot about the scene before, if that makes any sense. Because the I scene agree. before, just on its own, he's being way out of line. But then you get to that scene, and it's like, oh, I think I understand this relationship a little bit better. And it was one of those where they were just kind of maybe jerks to each other, like, affectionately. <laughs> no, I agree. But my, I guess my issue is, because I really do like that middle scene in front of the psychiatrist's office. I like it a lot. And given what Art says when he is, I think you very aptly put it, manhandling Sarah into his car, you know, he says, I, you can't get out of the car. You're going to run off on me again. We learn later that... He covered for her in the shooting incident. I think he, you know, he's genuinely concerned for himself and her. Right. But he's just so, in this episode in particular, he's just so inconsistent. Like, I can let go of the first scene because of the second scene, but then we have the ending scene where he's following her and taking her money. It's like he just flip-flops from being too, you know, a real hard-ass meanie head, as I like to call him. <laughs> she does like to call him that. <laughs> to caring and concern for Beth. And there's just a little too much flip-flopping, and it bothers me. And I get that. That I understand. But it's just one of those, I don't know, I, I guess, and I've said this before, my, my view is skewed because we know that Beth didn't make it. You know what I mean? Like, his, his concern is warranted to me to some extent, just because we know that she ultimately did take her own life. And I think a lot of Art's really irrational, hard-ass, meanie-head stuff is sort of a reaction to this, that he he knows she's in a bad place, so he's doing whatever he can, if that makes any sense. And yes, it's out of line, but I think it's coming from a good place. As I've mentioned to you before, my context means a lot to me. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. context and intent count for a lot. So, I'm I'm willing to forgive some of it, even though he, yeah, some of that's just out of line. But You're just more understanding and forgiving than I am. Of fictional characters, yes. Of fictional characters, <laughs> yeah. They're not really bad. They're just drawn that way. <laughs> so, like I mentioned, you know, this episode, at least the majority of this episode plays out as if it could be a completely different show with nothing to do with clones. But we do have hints at the clone plot throughout the episode. You know, we see the the pink cell phones, of course, which my theory is Allison bought those because they're pink and it just seems to make sense to me. So that's my theory is why they're all pink. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see Sarah finding the birth certificates in Beth's safety deposit box. And my question was always, why wasn't, why do you think Cosima's wasn't in that bunch? Do you have a, an idea? That's a good point. I don't know. I, the only thing I can figure is that Beth had collected them from 
Katya and Allison and herself and was going to maybe give them to Cosimo when she arrived because we learned. Yeah, I was, I was going to say maybe that's what it was since Cosimo was on her way there. We find out later. Mm-hmm. Maybe Cosima, either they were for Cosima or maybe Cosima was going to bring hers with her. Right. When but, she showed you know, up. I don't know. Katja probably faxed hers or emailed hers from Germany beforehand because she said something about you asked me to send it for proof. So I just always wondered why Cosima's wasn't in the bunch. Not really a pressing question, but just something that always sort of puzzled me, I guess. Hmm. Something for us all to think about. <laughs> and then, of course, we hear the first uttering of the what seems to be some sort of passphrase amongst Clone Club, where Katja susses on to the fact that Beth is acting really strangely. Maybe this isn't Beth. And she says, just one, I'm a few, no family, two. Who am I? And it bugs me that we never did learn what you're supposed to say after that. <laughs> Season two, Stephanie. Season I two. I hope so. I hope so. And then, of course, you know, the big entree into the clone plot is when Katya gets shot at the end of the episode, which every time I watch this episode, it freaks me out. It, it surprises me every time. I always know it's coming, and it's still kind of horrifying. So, it's so yeah. It's a really terrifying moment. It's really well shot and really well done. I like the way that Sarah and Katya are trapped in this little car and the gunman's outside and, you know, how do we escape somebody when we can't leave this little car? <laughs> yeah, and it's just so abrupt, too. Mm-hmm. Is sort there, of, There's no lead up to it. No, there was. there's no reason for the rest of the episode to suspect that somebody's going to get shot in the end, or especially this woman we've never seen before. So it's just completely surprising to me every time I watch it, even though I know it's coming. Yeah. So let us know your thoughts on natural selection. If you are doing an Orphan Black rewatch in, in preparation for season two, like we are, we would love to hear your thoughts. You can send us those by leaving a comment on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com, or you can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. This week, the Pink Phones and the Safety Deposit Box were both played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>